you pray with me? God, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I needed that reminder this morning through the music and through the reading of your word that no matter what's going on in my life, how good it's going or how much my world's being rocked physically or spiritually, that you are my hope. You are my strength. And I just am so grateful for that, that you are there, that you are a constant in my life and in our lives. And for that, God, we are so grateful. Give you thanks for that and for being present with us. Teach us now. Lead us always in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Inside of me, I feel attention. When I get praise for a job well done, and I know I didn't do my best. When I get a compliment for something, and I know I could have done a little bit more. Do you ever feel that way? I know I could have given more, worked harder, maybe not cut corners where I did. It's uncomfortable when that happens. And I can imagine for the people in Ephesus, this church that Paul wrote to, that there had to be a little bit of that feeling when they opened up this letter that Paul wrote and they read the first words that he wrote to them. Especially when he writes things like, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. See, This church used to be really on fire for God, but somehow their flame had gone out. They were just biding their time. And Paul's words had to have a bit of a sting to them. This church had so much potential, but they were wasting it. Paul wasn't ignorant or naive about their status. He kept well informed about what was going on in this church, but he was just following the polite formula in some ways about complimenting them, encouraging them before he let the hammer fall. And as we go through this book, you'll see he does let the hammer fall. And he encourages them and challenges them about their untapped potential. Ever felt like you were just doing church? Ever been in a place where you had lots of spiritual potential, you felt like, but you're just not using it? If you ever felt that way, let me encourage you. You're right. All of us have more talent, more potential for doing good, more intelligence, more gifting, and more, more, more passion than we could possibly imagine. But the challenge in front of us is that so often we just can't seem to find the code to unlock it. I am so glad you sing here. Holy cow. Thank God for volunteers. I need to just sit down and let her sing more. Don't. 
I know, but I have the mic and I could teach for an hour. <laughs> you know I'm capable of it. You know, no matter how we might feel, inside each one of us is extraordinary potential to do tremendous things for God. But the Bible says that capacity is not based on our worth, our intelligence, our beauty. Thank goodness. It's based on who we are in Christ. And that little two-word phrase, in Christ, becomes a major theme for, for Paul. It becomes a signature phrase and, in fact, a doctrine that he teaches, not just in the book of Ephesians, but in almost all of his writings. Our faith in Jesus brings us into a relationship with him that changes everything. In fact, it gives us a new identity. Years ago, we had some friends who adopted a daughter who had been an orphan in the Ukraine. She had lived in very dire circumstances in that orphanage. The orphanage, for instance, received a shipment of new toys on a consistent basis from all over the world for these orphans to play with. But the orphanage took those toys in the boxes and set them up on a high shelf where the kids couldn't reach them. They were displayed like museum pieces. It's just a quirk of the orphanage. The kids never got to play with them. The kids were never held, cuddled, never nurtured, even as infants. The bottles were propped up in the cribs and the kids were never held. Mealtime in the orphanage was almost frightening. Prospective parents weren't allowed to observe it, but they, this couple found out about them after the fact. The children survived by scrambling for whatever food they could get from the table once it was set on the table. The larger kids got the larger portions. When their daughter came to this country to live with them, her identity was changed in an instant. She was no longer an orphan living in the Ukraine. She was now the daughter of a wealthy suburban American family. Even though her identity and her circumstances had changed, her habits didn't change for almost two years. They would sit down at the table for a meal, they put food on the table, and she would still scramble and get as much as she could as though it was her last meal. When they traced a strange odor in her bedroom and finally discovered what it was, they found piles of moldy food tucked away and hidden in her room. She didn't recognize that her identity had changed. She didn't have to live the way she had lived before. But she still did because she couldn't wrap her head around her new identity. We're at danger, Paul says, of doing the same thing when we become a child of God, when we are in Christ. We live with the same identity we had before, even though we're a new person. Paul says to the Ephesians, look at who you are in Christ. Look at your new identity. God's given you so much that you're forgetting. You're chosen by God. It was God's plan from eternity to have fellowship with you. By sin, that privilege was forfeited. By grace, through Christ, that fellowship was restored. You walk with Him every day. You're adopted. Adoption was not a Jewish concept. It was nowhere in their language or their practices. It was a Roman concept that Paul was teaching. Adoption... Through the adoption process, 
that child gained position, not by right, but by grace. And they were brought into the family on equal footing with the birth child. And then Paul says, we're redeemed. I've developed some bad habits on Sundays. By the time I get home on Sunday afternoon, I'm pretty well spent. And most Sundays, I take a nap. Which means that I have trouble falling asleep on Sunday night. And so, I try to watch late night TV, which is really pathetic. Let's just be honest. So, I watch TV to try to help me fall asleep, and it doesn't help. One of the shows that I watch is um, Hardcore Pawn. And let me just be clear, I said Pawn, P-A-W-N. I could get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, It's about Detroit's biggest pawn store, uh, and I really really should pick a different illustration, but the pawn store is run, oddly enough, by the Gold family, seems appropriate, and I love to watch it. Connie just rolls over and harumphs in the bed when I've got it on, but it's got some really seedy characters running it, and even more seedy characters that come in and try to pawn stuff to get cash, and it's just interesting to hear their stories of why they pawn, what they're trying to pawn, and what they're trying to pawn. And it fascinates me to see people who think that they can pawn something and still come back to the store and use it while it's been pawned. Like the guy who pawned his computer. He left his laptop and a week later he came back and said, I just need to use it for a few minutes. You know, I have some files on it. I need to put on a flash drive. And so the kind and courteous workers at the pawn shop had to explain to him that it no longer belonged to him, and so he couldn't use it. And it would be held in a cage, useless to him, until he or someone paid the full price and redeemed it. At like 1.30 in the morning, I found it interesting that in the inner city of Detroit, in a pawn shop, I heard a deep spiritual concept being explained in a pawn store. Redeemed. Because of our sin, we belonged to someone else. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Our soul was held captive. And Paul says, at that point, Jesus redeemed us through his blood. Through him we have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God loves us enough that he gave his son for us. And that fact that he would do that was decided before the foundation of the world. Jesus paid the price, bought us back. He redeemed us. He didn't do it grudgingly. God didn't pay the price because Jesus had one arm, the Holy Spirit had the other. They were twisting God's arm to make him do this. In fact, Paul says, he lavished this redemption on us. He did it according to his good pleasure. It came from the generous heart of God and it gave him great joy to do it, to buy us back. So if you ever wonder how God feels about you, if you ever question Paul makes it crystal clear in this chapter in Ephesians. 
Understand your identity. You are a much-loved child of God. You're in Christ. That same faith that we have also gives us hope. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you'll be enlightened in order that you can know the hope to which God's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Paul lived very differently, I think, than most of us do. He had this constant awareness in his life that affected his everyday behavior. A sense that Jesus was going to return. And when he returned, that heaven would be his reward. And that idea of Jesus' return and heaven, those two things, affected his everyday demeanor and his behavior. And they gave him hope, no matter what he faced. He described it this way in Romans. He says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worthy to compare with the glory that God will reveal in us. I can't read that without thinking about what Paul went through in his life. He details it further in another one of his writings. and He talks about what he went through. He's, he was beaten multiple times for his faith. He spent years in prison. He was run out of towns. He endured hunger. He endured hardships that we'll never know. And he still says what's happening to us in our lives here doesn't even compare to what God's going to do for us in the next life. Paul prays that we will capture that sense of hope that we have as we walk with God. To know that God is at work in our daily circumstances, that what is happening to us is shaping us in our character, in our hearts, and it's preparing us for an eternal glory that far outweighs anything that's happening here, and that that will give us hope. But I think even more important for us is the second part of that prayer that he says. He says that we would know God's incomparably great power for those of us who believe. There is a power to our faith that most of us don't recognize either. Not just the hope, but the power of our faith. I, I am, and I don't know about you, but I think we're often immobilized by fear as Christians. We know inadequacy. We know impotence in our Christian faith. We don't think we can do anything sometimes. But Paul's really direct about that in his writing here. He encourages us and the Ephesians to come to know the power that's in us and available to us. Not something we have to pray to God to give us. It's in us because we're in Christ. We have power. So let me ask you, are you facing any challenges in your life? Maybe a couple, in your family, your marriage, in your health, in your work, in the lack of work. Wondering if the power of God in you is strong enough to face those challenges. Paul says the power that's in you is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. Pretty good power. It isn't the power that we have. The power we have isn't the power of a strong personality or an educated mind. It isn't the power of a good family background or money or numbers or leadership ability. It is the power of a resurrected Jesus. Now what does that mean in practical terms? 
It means His power doesn't pay attention to obstacles. Just like Jesus rose from the dead paying no attention to the stone in front of the tomb or the decrees of Caesar or the rants of the Jewish priests or the guard in front of the tomb, resurrection power doesn't pay attention to any of those obstacles. It surges ahead and it leaves the problems behind. Resurrection power doesn't require outside support. It doesn't rely on anything else or someone else. It doesn't need a vote of confidence. It doesn't require support from anybody. It can operate alone, completely alone, if necessary. It doesn't make a big noise or a big display. It doesn't try to gain attention from some publicity stunt. It just works quietly, without any noise, and affects transformation, bringing life out of death. And you'll notice that Paul says... It is the supreme power in all of the universe. Far above any ruler, any authority, any power, any dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. It's far greater than any force in your life, anything that can be launched against you. And what happens when we use that power? What happens when we tap into that power of faith in our lives? One of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Hebrews 11. It tells us people who tapped into that kind of faith, people like Noah, built a boat 450 feet long, filled it with all kinds of animals by faith in preparation for a flood that would cover the earth. When some Bible archaeologists and scholars tell us that it probably had never rained on the face of the earth before. That's faith. By the power of faith... Abraham at 100 years old and Sarah at 90 years old, old enough that they weren't even buying green bananas anymore, (laughs) trusted God and gave birth to not only a son, but an entire nation. By the power of faith, Moses chose to be known as a child of God rather than as a child of the Pharaoh, with all of its privileges and all of its wealth. Literally, Hebrews says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By the power of faith. By the power of faith, God's people have conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. By the power of faith, they've shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, they have turned weakness into strength. They've become powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. By faith, women have received back their dead and been raised to life again. By faith, others have been tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. By faith, they have faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And by faith, they were put to death by stoning, sawn in two, and were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They did great things, and they endured great things, all by the power of faith. The same power that's in you and me. Because of the grace of Jesus. And here's the final word on those people. And I love this. Hebrews says... The world wasn't worthy of them.
I want to live with that kind of power of faith in my life. Trusting God so much, doing things that are so big that if God's not in them, I'll fall flat on my face. So that at the end of my life, people stand around and say the world wasn't worthy of that life. Not because of me, but because of God in me. It is perfectly within our power to narrow down the Christian life to a religion. A set of rules and proper human behaviors and believe that that's what God wants of us. And if we do that, then what we soon find is that the Christian life is just a rut. It's an experience that turns drab and dull and gray. I promise you that's not what God wants. God's desire for you and for me is far greater than that. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us for something greater. He has an inheritance for us that's greater than that. And it is his delight to do work in us and through us. Later on in Ephesians, Paul writes, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Not according to our abilities. Not because we're especially skilled or intelligent. But what God does in us and through us has nothing to do with our title, our position, our possessions, our appearance, our age, our race, or our income level. God is ready to use you and me and even the tiniest seed of faith we might have to do greater things than we ever thought possible according to His power that's working in us if we'll only make ourselves available. And if we do, then there is an adventure and fulfillment awaiting us that is beyond our wildest dreams.